Your Partner in Success Radio is a free business podcast with host Denise Griffiths. It's all about great stories, conversation, and context to help you move your business and life forward with actionable tips and advice from her guest experts. To listen and subscribe, just find us on iTunes, Google Play, or wherever you consume your podcasts. Welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. I'm your host, Denise Griffiths, and today we're discussing visual leadership with my guest, Nora Herding, who says visual thinking is an old technology. Think cave paintings that were 3,000 B.C. in Altamira, Spain. A pioneer of visual strategy, Nora is is passionate about expanding people's definitions of creativity, and she believes that the best way to meet the demands of business today is to take a visual approach that blends strategic thinking and creative expression. With more than a decade of experience as a facilitator, educator, and visual strategist, she has led transformations for some of the world's biggest brands. And with her company, ImageThink's humble back of the napkin origin, I'll get her to tell that story, 11 years ago, Nora has helped evolve the nascent industry of visual strategy while growing a, growing a global multi-million dollar business in the process. Nora, welcome to your Partner in Success Radio. It's good to have you here. Hi, it's great to be here. Thank you. Well, I'm excited because visual thinking, I mean, that's how I operate. I do everything in my head before I put pen to paper. I'm a web developer, and I literally will have the entire website built in my head while I'm washing dishes, and then I go build it. It's it's in my head, and I think a lot of people do that, but they may not recognize that they're doing it. Yeah, I, th- I think that that, that that might be true. Um, uh, most of us are visual learners, and some of us can see it all, all at one time, like you're saying, but for some people, especially with organizations or groups of people, being able to externalize that, have a picture that everyone can see and everyone can respond to can really help um, move a project or the creative process along. Exactly. Well, listen, before we get too far into that, tell people a bit about you. I don't like to open up the podcast and just meander around. I like people to hear who you are and what you're passionate about in your own words. Oh, great. Yeah, sure. So um, I founded ImageThink in 2009. Um, my background is in fine arts, actually, I have a master's in photography. Um, and I always, you know, felt that, uh, that creativity was an important thing. But for a long time, you know, Ray's kind of been trained as an artist. It, it seemed like the business world and the creative world were really two distinct things. Um, and so what makes me so satisfied in the work that we do at ImageThink is really bringing the forces of those two things together um, to have impact for, for businesses and for leaders. Um, so... Uh, in the course of the you know, 12 plus years of Image Think, uh, I've helped develop a method uh, that I see most of our clients kind of following along when they work on a project. And we have different visual strategies that we use to help them move towards that. And uh, a few years ago, I, I also wrote a book um, that gives everyone in, who wants to work visually uh, visual tools and templates to, to do so to help them kind of problem solve and move through an idea. 
I love that. So tell people how you built this idea on the back of a napkin. I mean, so many well, things start on the back of a napkin. It's really, it's interesting. Yeah, yeah. It wasn't a, a literal back of a napkin, but there were napkins because we were, we were in a diner. Um, I had, uh, I hadn't gone to school for, for photography. I came from a, a, a working class background. I was first generation to college. And so pursuing art, I don't, you know, was already felt risky enough. Um, but I, you know, as soon as I got into school, probably because I had great professors, I thought, okay, I'm going to be an art professor, you know, as, um, it was very practical. You know, you get a, a, a tenured job, you have health insurance, you know, and so I worked very hard and I, and I did that at a pretty young age and I started teaching and pretty quickly realized that I was not happy and that this goal I had had and pursued was really actually a failure of imagination um, because I hadn't really thought about what else I could do with my skill set. You know, here I'm an artist, I'm supposed to be this creative thinker and I kind of like fallen into line about what seemed possible. So um, I decided to leave my position and move to New York. And before I did, I, I went out to dinner with my mom at this diner and uh, we we're talking and she said, you know, so when you move to New York, you're going to get a job at an art firm, right? And I remember laughing. I'm like, an art firm, mom? She's like, yeah, an art firm. I said, okay, well, tell me about what happens at this art firm. And she said, well, sure. You know, it's, it's, uh, all these artists show up and they work for a company and they make art together for other companies. And I must have just looked completely confused, Denise, because she said, you know, Nora, like a law firm, but for artists and art firm. <laughs> but it actually and makes sense, but it didn't exist, did it? It, it, it made, you know, she was so confident about it. And, and at that point, I, at first I was laughing like you, but she was, I suddenly was like, no, mom, that doesn't exist. And this look of like sheer terror came over her face and she got really quiet. And I, she said, well, Nora, what are you going to do? And um, I said, I don't know. I mean, I felt terrible. I had two degrees. I was in my late 20s. and My mother was terrified. She thought I was going to starve to death. And I really didn't have much of an answer for her. Um, you know, so I'd like to say, okay, at that point, like I, like you, washing your dishes, built the website, um, you know, immediately. But that, that really, you know, uh, for me, it's really been more of a series of, looking around, seeing what was available, and then just pushing the envelope a bit more. Um, so I started working in what we would call now like a design thinking space, but this was the early 2000s, so there was no language for it. I just thought it was a bunch of wacky people with really weird jargon, which I realized was just business jargon. Um, and then, you know, learned the craft of creating visuals for uh, design thinking meetings, strategy meetings, you know, uh, and saw the power of that and, and started Image Think in 2009. And then, you know, um, one day I walked into the office that we had in Brooklyn, full of people who work at Image Think, you know, making visuals for, you know, mostly Fortune 50 companies. And I thought, oh my God, uh, you know, here, mom, like you said, it makes sense. Uh, it just didn't exist. And here we have, you know, my mom's version of the art firm, so to speak. I love that. And she, without any knowledge at all about what you might 
might could do. That's a southern thing. You might could do that. You, she gave you an idea that was brilliant. Yeah, yeah. Very, so go, mom. Uh, yeah. Yay, mom. I know, some, yeah, yay, mom. Sometimes you know, it's it it takes being a novice in something to really push it forward, right? And coming into it with kind of like beginner's mind, you know? And I think that in some ways that's what we do at ImageSync for our clients, um, you know, who are often steeped in really complex projects. Uh, We have a lot of, you know, big IT clients like Google or Salesforce or, you know, you name it. And a lot of healthcare pharmaceutical companies, it's a lot of complexity, but sometimes coming in on the outside and being able to uh, kind of see a little bit more clearly and simplify things is really powerful. Um, and we do that, but we do that through, you know, the power of, of pictures and visuals. How did you get started? I mean, I am, and I'm just going to kind of run with this because this is the image I have in my head. You left that. I mean, your mom gave you a great idea that it eventually came to pass, but you gave up your job, you took your degrees and basically put them in the closet. You went to New York. How did you make it there? Did you work for other right. companies? Right. What did you do? Yeah, yeah. So what uh, what happened was, you know, serendipity, but um, Ernst & Young had, sold their, had to sell their consulting practice uh, after Sorbet-Oxford. So they split into two, and they sold it to a French company called Capgemini. It's a global consulting company. And they inherited these, what we would say is like design thinking spaces. They were all over the world. They were like physical spaces. You walk in, there's whiteboards on, everything's on casters. There's toys, there's books, there's, you know, everything's a whiteboard. And um, they had contracted this sort of design thinking methodology from these folks. One person, they were a couple, one person was an architect, one person was a monastery teacher. And they staffed all these spaces with a network of sort of people with creative backgrounds. So we would come together and we would design and lead three, usually three-day intensive sessions for you know, giant companies like British Petroleum or the, Amer- or the U.S. Army that were working on these really long-term um, strategies. Like a lot of them were IT supply chain, process change strategies for these massive organizations. But we had a really unorthodox approach to doing so. And we would say, you can get 90 days of work out of three days if you bring your people through one of these sessions. So... Um, that was where I learned what we call graphic recording, which is the live translation of, of concepts in conversations to pictures and words. Um, because they knew I had an art background, and I had for a brief bit also been an elementary school art teacher, Denise. They, you know, they basically gave me the pen, and, and they said, go. You know, and um, I had a wonderful experience learning on the job in front you know, of some very senior leaders for very big organizations. And um, did that for several years before I I realized that just the practice of the visual translation was a service in and of itself. And that's when we started ImageSync. See, I find that fascinating. I'm always wondering, because, you know, people, let me interrupt myself a bit here. People will say, oh, you know, she's an overnight success. Oh, this is what happened. 
people don't really understand or know the the journey that you go through to get where you are. And that's why I always like to kind of dig that out. Say, how did you get there? Because it's a fascinating story. I love your mom's idea. I mean, she she really, that was just brilliant. Whether she knew it or not, that was absolutely just brilliant. And, you know, here you are and you're, you know, you're working with huge companies. You're doing basically what you love, but you put all of your experience with your degrees, with your different jobs, and now you're just doing these wonderful things. But it was not overnight, so I wanted to stress that. Yeah, I appreciate that. It was not overnight, and it also, um, it was not like your website. I wish I could say that it is. And I think that there's this cult of, of, uh, of like, this mythos sort of around entrepreneurs that, you know, you get, like, they have it all figured out from the beginning. And maybe that's true for some people. No, we don't. About, we do not. Amazon, right? Like, he right. started as selling books, and obviously he's brilliant, um, but I don't think that when he started, Jeff Bezos started selling books, he also thought about AWS and space flight, right? Like, it was, it was a process that unfolded. So that was very much the case um, for me and Image Think. It was, that it was a process that, that unfolded. Um, you know, the, the passion around it or, or what, you know, gets you up in the morning and doing the work, like that probably is there from the beginning. Um, but what that looks like year to year is different as, you know, you sort of expand and uh, respond to change and, and what's available, right? Um, exactly. At least I find that to be true. And with my web development, I, did, I thought everybody did that. I was shocked to find out that I'm a bit of a freak in this area. It's not it's not a bad thing, but I'm like, what do you mean you can't see it? For me, the issue became how do I break this down for my team because I can see it. Why can't they see it? And I had to learn patience. And I had to learn yeah, how to yeah. communicate with them both verbally and in writing and in creative, you know, creative ways like with, you know, pictures and you know, once I got that part sorted out, I was like, oh, I can see it. Why can't everybody else see it? I was a little cocky about it, to be honest. But then I realized that not everybody thinks that way. Well, you're, a tr- you know, you you have a you're a true visionary, right? And that's um, I think so. Yeah. Level. Yeah. What we help leaders do visually, because you might have had the picture. Uh, maybe you, you know, because you're a designer, had the skill set to actually, you know make manifest that for other people but often leaders um they have a they have a vision or they have an idea but they they have to slow down they have to articulate it for everybody and in our model we have a a kind of a wheel called an image think method and that's the second part the first one is like you know the idea scanning brainstorming all of that the second part though is engaging you have to bring the other people with you uh if you want to make it happen right and so often that becomes hard uh, for leaders because they're ahead of everyone, like you said, or they have it fully, they have the idea fully formed in their mind, but it's not articulated or it's not expressed to everybody else what that is and where they fit into that picture. So at that stage, what we do at Image Think for Clients is we really help visualize, you know, the future and that idea or that strategy so that everyone can get on the same page and see sort of externalize, you know, the vision of, of the leadership uh, to engage and bring all those people along. 
And I'm so glad you brought that up, Nora, because I think this this is me watching other people, this is me talking with other people. I have a passionate interest in leadership. And leadership, I think, if they aren't able to bring in their team or their their people, if they're not functioning in a way that brings other people on board, they're failing as leaders. And we see a lot oh. of that. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you can't do it by yourself, right? Um, uh, no, I try. Can... It doesn't work. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, I absolutely agree with that. And, you know, that's the difference between having a strategy and being able to execute it. And so for us, it's not just helping the folks in the beginning part of the phase where they're brainstorming and they're thinking creatively and they're trying to pull in all these different ideas. And we do do that. We do help visualize brainstorms and the concept. But then we stay, we have ways to stay with the process to help them move, move to the next stage and subsequent stages even where you have to tell that story. You have to show that vision of the future to other people. Um, I, one time we did a session, and then later I was uh, speaking about it to some leadership at IBM, and I put this example up that happened to be from IBM, that was this whole journey about uh, going into the cloud, right? This was, a few, this was years ago. And the woman raised her hand and she was like, this is actually my division. Um, and I have this visual still. And I was sort of surprised because, you know, in, in tech, everything moves so fast. It was a few years before and I thought, like, you'd think it was irrelevant. And she said, no, no, because I can show everyone, even interns, who come into the organization, where we're going, but also where we've been and how they mm. fit into the picture. Right. So, um, you know, so it had a, it had a long life, um, this sort of visual story that they had made up to explain to everybody, this is where we're going, this is what we're transitioning to. And there was different points on the journey where they were like, these are the, the different divisions that come in. This is where we have to do a bunch of recruiting for the skill set we need. You know, and they, they made up their, their own metaphor um, that evolved as kind of they evolved, you know. So we helped them pull that out and capture it. Um, so the, that component to help bring everyone else along with you as a leader is really important. Um, and, you know, I, I, I think that you have to communicate different ways with different people multiple times, right? You do. And I love that they they had this idea that, you know, where we've been, because so many people kind of, I think, I've been noticing people just kind of start where their boots on the ground now, and you don't know the history. You don't know how they've evolved. You don't know why they're doing what they're doing or why they're not doing what they used to do. And that's part of storytelling. Storytelling to me is very, very important, which reminds me I wanted to go back to visual thinking is an old technology, cave painting. Let's talk about that a bit. I mean, I've always known about cave paintings. I didn't know they went back that far. Oh, yeah. So um, the, the one in Altamira goes back 30,000 B.C., but they've actually recently found an even older um, artifact, which is uh, in Southeast Asia that, that predates that is slightly. Um, so in the cave of Altamira, which is the one I'm, I'm more familiar with, I have to do my research now that we have a, a, late, a breaking news for an earlier one, but it's similar, is it's a depiction of, uh, bison and game 
primarily. There's also human handprints that they've that they've put on the caves as well. Um, and you know, we 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 can speculate about what what was the function. Anthropologists believe that there were instructions tied to hunting, um, right? And so the way I see it is it's one of the first examples of, you know, an innovation. We, we know that we were first hunter-gatherer society, right, or gathering. Um, and then at some point, these people thought, okay, well, you know, let's create technologies. Let's figure out how to actually hunt this, these large animals. And so here is an innovation and here is visuals to help lead the group through that process and then document it, right? So you just mentioned, you know, sometimes people just start where they were and don't see the past of, you know, where you come from before. So they believe that these are sort of hunting instructions or documentation around their, hunt, their hunting process. So to me, it's the first example of visual leadership. Um, you know, and it's beautiful because it combines so many things that make us different than other animals, um, creativity, technology, even the technology of creating the pigment on the, on the cave wall, but certainly the technology of, of weaponry, right? Um, collaboration to, you know, do something that one human couldn't do on their own, but we have to figure out a way to collaborate as a group. And the pictures and the documentation are, are essential to, to that. So it's a very technology. Yeah, and hunger drives an awful lot of what we do, whether it's hunger for food, it's hunger for, you know, good relationship. I think everything that really we kind of evolve from is from one or more forms of hunger. And, you know, catching animals and eating them, that's hunger. you got to be pretty hungry. I like that. Something that big. Yeah. Right. I love the hunger as a drive. Right. And like, is that physical hunger? Is that creative hunger? Is that intellectual hunger? Yeah, we all have it. But how do we communicate it is the big thing. And, you know, some of us are very, very good at word pictures. Some of us are, are creative. Some of us, we all have our different ways of creating those pictures. I'm kind of losing track here because now I've got pictures in my head. <laughs> my head is just banging around going, oh, <laughs> there's something in there. So It's interesting you because I'm listening to you and I'm coming up with all kinds of ideas. But, you know, you were talking about, you know, this one, but do you have any other case studies or examples that you can share with the audience? Because I'm fascinated. Oh, so many, so many. So, uh, we support about 300 sessions a year, but so let me ask you: What do we want to talk about? Uh, some more examples of um, storytelling, you know, and how visuals can help create that story. Um, yes, yeah, I would love yeah. that. Yeah, great. So, so one example that I have uh, that's one of my favorites because I felt uh, that that this that this organization, it was for Bristol Myers Squibb, um, which is a, a big pharmaceutical company. They were so innovative about how they approached this in the first place. And, um, you know, we were so proud to play a role in it. You know, years ago, they, they wanted to roll out new cultural values for their company. And, and I have to tell you, Denise, it took me a while to come around to this idea 
someone who wasn't in business and, and values, company values, because sometimes you go to places and they're, they are their posters on the wall in the cafeteria and they just, they seem like wallpaper, right? And, uh, but they can be so important. And so they wanted to make sure that these values really resonated um, in a way that was not so top down. Um, what they did is they had a series of meetings with hundreds of leaders. And um, as a segment of the meeting, we gave them a little bit of background about the importance of storytelling and just the basics of, of, of storytelling. And then they sat in groups and they were asked to think about a value, uh, one of the values that the, the Bristol-Myers Squibb had, that they had a story about. It could be personal. It didn't have to be, you know, in the company. And they sat there in groups and they told each other these stories. And as they did, uh, there was someone from the Image Think team at, in every group. And we drew individual pictures of these people's stories. So one that sticks out for me was there was, um, there was a man named Roger and he would dress up like Santa Claus every year and he would go to the children's hospital and he would distribute presents to the kids in the hospital. Um, and that was his example um, of one of the values. And so I, you know, we drew up this picture of him in the Santa Claus suit, you know, giving gifts and all the leaders left with their story sort of practiced a bit, right? They articulated it and these visuals. And what happened, what Roger told me is, you know, he went back to his office, he hung the picture of, you know, him as Santa Claus distributing presents in his office. And then when his reports came in, they would remark on it, right? Because it's kind of an unusual, like this, this drawing. They say, well, what is this picture about Roger? And it gave Roger an example or an opportunity rather um, to tell that story. Uh, and then tell how it, it mapped to the company values. Um, and so they socialized this in small ways, hundreds of leaders around the world who, you know, got to reflect on their own story. Um, and they had, a, they had a picture to share with it. And even years, this was years ago that we did this, and I run into to folks that still work there. They remember this project um, and these stories. So, that's, uh, that's one example of, you know, the power of storytelling and, and the support of having the visual. But what's great about that one is it's just, they made it personal, you know, it was not just a company story, but each, each a leader's individual story about living their values. And that's lovely. And I think, and this is just me kind of going off the cuff here, but I think so many people have the, the attitude or the idea that if you're a large, large company, AT&T, Bristol-Myers, whoever you are, that you're a corporation. There are no personalities allowed. They're just worker bees. They go in, they do their stuff, they leave. That is absolutely not true. And I'm guessing that a lot of what you're doing is bringing soul to these companies so people understand who they are, why they do what they do why they can be helpful to the world at large. Oh, I love that. Yeah, a little bit of, a little bit of soul, a little bit of, of you know, humanity, um, you know, and uh, sometimes, like, you know, levity, sometimes good humor. You know, that's another example is um, we can help kind of tackle, a group tackle some, some pretty – big conflicts or challenges 
with visuals because in some ways we can make metaphors out of them and externalize them so they're not quite as uh, they're not quite as scary or as immediate. Um, an example would be uh, in that the story I told you about IBM and their their strategy. Uh, you know, they had barriers along the way as they were trying to. Everybody would, right? If you have a big project, um, you know, and, and their story it was they're on a boat going down a river, and and the barriers were all sharks, you know, in the water, and alligators, and so they were able to identify what those were. And some of them were, some of them were internal barriers that that probably would have been like very political. Um, another example, we worked for a company, a luxury company that. Uh, there was a real division between the executives and the C-suite, and they um, they would talk about like, oh, the the seventh floor where the leadership was was the killing floor, and we drew up these oh, like no. things, which, yeah, yeah, <laughs> it was, it, so we drew up these big butcher knives, you know, um, like in the building, and they were able to talk about that. And at the end of the meeting, the the senior leaders, the C-suite, came in and they had to walk them through kind of all of these discussions, these visual discussions. But they were like, yeah, here's the butcher knife. You know, this is how we feel. Um, and I think it's being able to have a metaphor and have something that is not specifically about the day-to-day, but that can be couched sort of in humor or in a story that sometimes helps these groups be able to, you know, name the elephant in the room, if you will, right, um, in a way that might be very difficult if it was just a conversation. Well, you talk about your knife. I'm, <laughs> I don't even know what to think about that. But you talk about how working in pictures. <laughs> I'm serious. I'm, I, it's in my head. You're working in picture, pictures cuts to complexity, and that did it. I mean, that's an example of that. How did how did the C-suite think about being called butchers? I can't imagine that uh, went well at first, but I'm guessing yeah, they worked I, it I, out. I, I wasn't. I heard it did. I was not in the next day's meeting, but I heard it didn't necessarily go. Um, <laughs> it was great. It, it, they, they they didn't. They weren't ready for the feedback, but the rest of the people were able to at least articulate it right in a way. Um, because these things happen in organizations, right? And, uh, and they're, sometimes they're not totally functional. And so to have someone else um, come in and make it somewhat of a, of a metaphor, right? There's no actual butcher knives in this organization on the Senate floor. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's just, I hope not. <laughs> um, you know, uh, you can kind of get to, to the, the, you know, the passion around it or, or the challenge that these people are having. Like you said, it's, it's bringing the soul to the organization and that can be good things, but that can also be, you know, the things that are demotivating for people or devastating for people or, um, you know, or sabotage uh, projects and, and things where they're going. And those things have to be addressed. Um, you know, and so this is one, you know, this is one way to address it without making it entirely personal. No kidding. It sounds like you guys are one big marriage counselor. (laughs) With with drawings. Well, or, yeah, or or therapists (laughs) for businesses in a way. I mean, I I think mostly, um, mostly organizations, you know, uh, are, are all kind of trying to move in the same direction. 
but sometimes, you know, just the complexity, the structure of the organization, you know, where there's a lot of silos or there's a lot of departments that don't get a connect very often, uh, where problems arise, even when people are incredibly well-meaning and they all have the same goal, right? I'm sure you've seen that before. Oh, yeah. In IT and sales, those people don't get along at all. Sales makes promises that <laughs> IT's like, what? You did what? Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, a constant yeah. problem. We can't do that. What the hell? <laughs> it's, it's, a, it's interesting to watch. Okay, so I, talking I about, it, yeah. oh, it's in they always pop into my head because IT hates the salespeople. I mean, if they could flatten their cars on a daily basis or their tires on a daily basis, they would. So working in pictures cuts through complexity. Examples other than the one that we just did? Oh, yeah. Well, that was, that was a little bit about, uh, like you said, marriage counseling for sure. Um, yeah, sure. So, uh, for example, we – uh, we work with a lot of uh, IT partners that are trying to implement these, these large-scale projects, right, for, for global companies. That's a lot of complexity. There's a lot of um, constituents. Sometimes there's a, you're working with, like, a host of vendors, right? There's a lot of outsourcing that happens. So you have a whole team. It's not all your company culture. You're, you're dependent on other people. There's different offices. They're in different countries. So they have their own time zones. They have their own way of working. How do you pull that all together when you're when you're looking at uh, a big global project that's going to span years, right? So um, what we'll often do, it, and I'm thinking about an example. We did this for a, a, com- a mining company. So they're mining. They're based in Singapore, and they had, you know, this sort of retrograde technologies, and they wanted to overhaul everything. They had a, a bunch of vendors, right, that they that they used. And we were in a working session with them where we start, we say, okay, what does it look like right now? What is your current state? Like you, you said, Denise, earlier, people sometimes don't want to look back or where they are. So, you know, we had them list out kind of like the problems they were having, the resources they were using, the state of, you know, their relationships. And then we jumped to the future and we said, okay, where, where are you ultimately trying to go in this Time frame, you know, let's say three years, um, and they they had goals that they needed to hit. They had ways that they wanted to work. They wanted to streamline things. They wanted to improve things. Right? We could be talking about anybody, you know, at this point because this is most organizations. So then we started charting in the big white space in the middle. Um, okay, how are we getting there? And what are the different streams that we have to work with? You know, whether it's your different organizational streams. Um, like you said, IT or sales, or it's different vendors. Um, and tech, there's a lot of dependencies, right? You need to have one functionality built out before you can build on top of that functionality. Sometimes organizations, they're not talking to each other, the groups that are doing this, and they do it backwards. Um, so then slowly, and over you know, four or five hours, we charted a 16-foot sort of path that got them from where they were right now a vision of where they wanted to be, but then broke it all down by who's doing what, when does it need to happen, what is, you know, what dependencies exist. Um, so at the end, they could see uh, exactly what they had, what they didn't have, and the order in which they needed to do it. 
Okay, I have to ask because I'm following along and I'm wondering at some point, I'm, I'm guessing that at some point leadership also has to say, okay, y'all not playing nice together. We're going to have to let some of you go or move you because we're changing, we're growing, we're evolving, and you're getting in the way. So do you see a lot of moving around or just firing as this happens? Because not everybody's going to be on board, I wouldn't think. Yeah, possibly. I mean, I've never been uh, – uh, the firing doesn't happen in the, me- in the meetings that, right. that, that I'm in. But, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I suppose that that does happen. But at least this way, um, everyone knows where, the direction that it's going in, right? And so leadership is able to see uh, – to articulate, like you said, where are we going? And then um, – check with people like this is the plan this is how you fit into it is this is this role for you is this role not for you um you know are there places where we overlap um but i would say largely it's it's more earlier on to just even see um what are we what is the current state what are we working with and where do we need to go and how all these these pieces fall into place but i think more often than not it's really helpful you know, imagine sales and IT in, in your, you know, in, in, in your world, these examples where everyone can really sort of see, like, this is the touch point. This is where uh, sales comes in. This is where IT comes in. Here's the current state where it's broken because you're selling things that we can't deliver, right? Um, and then can we get on the same page and start visioning a future that works for both of us and how we get there? Because um, that's kind of the first thing that you need to do. But a lot no of times kidding. I actually say that, that mostly organizations are thinking, oh, we, we don't have the resources we need. We have, there's new skill sets in technology, let's say, or in human resources or in whatever that we're going to need to get to get there. So a lot of the time it's actually identifying that they don't have the, they don't have the people that they need. And now they can start to plan for what that looks like. You know, are they going to train? Uh, are they going to train folks? Are they going to hire? Are they going to acquire other companies? Right. So that, I think upskilling that comes into play up. there. Yeah. You know, you a take lot. your people and upskill them right where you can. Mm-hmm. Don't cut them loose. Don't hire over the top of them. Find out what they really can do. Yeah. And we, we can help, um, you know, in those examples, too, we help other organizations on the people front say, okay, um, let's get our people together. Let's figure out what is the path for them forward. What does their career path really look like? How do we really articulate it to them? Um, you know, and kind of do the same thing that I was just describing, but for someone's, you know, professional journey within an organization. So helping the the HR folks really see like what is a path that someone in this company is on, and where you know where do they need some more support? Where do they do need development? And do they you know do they see where they fit in? That can be really also this is just as important right as the strategy is the people part. Exactly, and one or more of my guests have indicated that you know HR should have not just a seat at the table, they should be the table. So do you work with a lot of HR companies? Well, not so much HR companies, but HR 
divisions within companies. Oh, right. So, Big difference. Uh, yeah, yeah. So, so for instance, a um, major automotive manufacturer, right, uh, wanted to kind of overhaul their associate journey and what that looks like and what they need, you know. So it, it's great when you when you have a client that thinks about their own people like a customer, right? So they were sort of thinking about for our associates, you know, what are we doing for them? What are we messaging them? What do they need? What's the path that they're on? And so we kind of um, facilitated some sort of focus groups, if you will, of, of internal employees to say, you know, what do you, What's your experience? What information are you getting? What information aren't you getting? What would be great for you? Um, and then we did that with leadership. And we basically, from those visuals, created a visual path that they took to, um, you know, the steering committee uh, to say, like, this is what we'd like to, to turn into our new sort of associate journey. So we can storytell to those folks, you know, when you're, when you're at this organization, this is the path that you're on. These are the different places that you can develop yourself. Um, you know, so in the same way that you would want to do that maybe for a customer and do that for internally for, for your own people um, at yeah. organizations. And that leads me to my next question. That You say that communicating through pictures can help leaders make their message more memorable and personal. How do they do that? Yeah, well, um, one of the ways we like to work um, with leaders, and this kind of brings us sort of full circle to what you were saying um, about, you know, you having the vision of the website or whatever you're building in your head and you had to realize you had to slow down to bring people along. Yeah, that was tough. It really was. Mm-hmm. I, I'm kind of yeah, pig headed. Yeah. I'm an A type personality. I had to stop and think, nope, you know, nobody can peek into my head, thank God. But, you know, I also wasn't giving them the information they really needed until I slowed down and taught myself to ask them, What what do you need? What am I not giving you? Where am I confusing you? Yeah, it reminds me of this uh this session I helped, I had, uh, I had a client, big fortune, uh, 50 client call up. They were working with the, the head of a, of a university, very, um, you know, very lauded university in sort of IT and tech. And they're like, our pre- the president has this vision for this whole innovation center, but no one understands it. What he talks mm-hmm. about, nobody can really understand it. We have to help him articulate that basically to the board of directors and the people who are going to sign off on this project, which is going to be a long project. Um, and, you know, apparently, you know, this man was brilliant and he had his own idea, but every time he got in a room to talk about it, he lost people. So they, um, they brought me in and it was like four people and they sat down with the guy and they were like, okay, talk to us about this, this innovation, um, center and this whole new way of working with students, which, you know, I thought was brilliant. It was all about, you know, placing them in these different internships and uh, et cetera, et cetera. Every time we talked, he just lost folks. So we worked with him, you know, we listened, we visualized what he was saying, and then we helped simplify back to that beginner's mind, right? Kind of cut the complexity out of it um, and was able to picture back to him 
what it was that he was trying to express in a way that was more clear for other folks um, that had a story around it, you know, that didn't change what he was saying, but kind of reordered it, you know, um, so that people could understand. And, and especially in these technical fields, but really any business has their own jargon and, and um, ways of talking, is they lose the clients or they lose the constituents that they're trying to bring along because they're so steeped in it, you know. So that's where the metaphor can be really powerful, right, is, um, and this, you know, in this example, it was kind of externalizing his whole vision. But maybe in an IT situation, it's creating a metaphor that is accessible to other people who aren't experts or who aren't engineers but are going to be your clients or your customers, right? So, um, so we were able to pull this picture out for him, reorder it, and give him a structure to be able to explain this to other folks. And not just him, but all of the people who were his advocates, right, that are going to be pulling this project together that was going to require grants and private sponsorship. You know, I mean, it was a, it was a big, interesting vision. Um, we also sometimes listen because leaders, sometimes leaders are metaphorical, and they have their own personality. And it's back to what you're saying about the soul. So in listening to them kind of talk about the project, uh, we'll listen for the language and the story that they might be telling and then build upon that. So if it is a metaphor, um, it's a metaphor that comes from them and is relatable to them so that they, that they can um, feel like they're connected to it which is important when you're coming to to storytelling and messaging. And you have to be relatable. I I learned this the hard way. I'm I'm known as a nerd in stilettos. I think, I dream in HTML, I kid you not. I had to treat myself, I had to teach myself rather, to when I'm communicating with people who don't think in WordPress or HTML or any kind of techie code, to keep it Homer Simpson simple. Really, I am, and I had to really work at that because not everybody's going to know what a GUI is or e- they don't care. They just want to know how does it work for them. So I keep it simple and I do the same thing with my podcast. I belong firmly in the keep it simple, stupid camp of podcasting. It's the only way I can communicate right now. Exactly, exactly. So, um so it goes back to that beginner's mind, right? It's almost, mm-hmm. it's hard because you've forgotten. Uh, you don't know what other people don't know, right? But I assume really, that they do. We, I used to assume that they knew what I meant. They didn't. Right, right. So we we sort of create that bridge in a way with visuals for, in these examples we were just talking about, you know, the, the president of this university, his vision, um, to structure it in a way that, that people could really could give a touch point for him for when he story told about it, uh, when he had to go fundraise about it to get other people to be able to see the vision that he saw in his head but maybe couldn't slow down to articulate clear enough to other people, right? So, again, back to that engagement phase, we're helping um, bring those other folks along and use the metaphor, use storytelling, um, you know, in a visual form to, 
to get people there. And, and, and pictures are powerful, right? They resonate with, with people. They're more memorable for a lot of folks than just hearing someone speak to it. Um, like you were saying, you're, you're dreaming in HTML, so that's probably a visual sort of dream. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Sometimes. I actually caught myself. I was, you know, you have those moments when you're just about to wake up and you can remember largely what you were dreaming about. And I had created a block. I had created a box in HTML and I had split it in half and I was patting the heck out of the right side. And I couldn't, my waking mind was, well, why are you doing this? What's going on in the left and what's going on the right? Turns out I was about to fall out of bed. My sleeping mind was trying to protect me by patting me. I wake up tired. Yeah. Yeah, but uh, but you have a you have a rich nocturnal life. It sounds like I do. I really do. But here's the thing: you, we're talking about, you know, your audience is hardwired to make meaning from images, and I agree with you. I cannot argue with that at all. But how do you create him? Oh, 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 I wanted to go back. I just lost my own train of thought. Speaking about your, the professor, he, I'm thinking, and we're not, I'm not speaking of him directly, but what happens, and, and I was just kind of following along the train track there, what happens when you're creating these things? He had an idea, but I don't know that he or most people are going to take you know, critical thinking and project it out. It's like, okay, we need to have these partners in here for fundraising. We need to have people in here that are going to help here, there, and yonder. He had an idea, I'm guessing, and that's kind of where it stuck. Am I wrong, or, or is there some No, I think, I, think you're, I think you're right. I think you're right, and this goes also to just ideas about leadership and organizations, right, is that you need the other people around him to translate that. Um, to the to the constituents that matter absolutely, and in fact, you're reminding me that when we finally worked on these visuals for his vision, there were different, slightly different ones in different messaging because mm-hmm. uh, who the know, audience um, was, right? Who the audience was, like to the students right. and the faculty, it's it's one level of information to the donors that they have to fundraise to. It's a slight, it's a slightly different. Um, level of information or um, advantage or, you know, so, uh, so absolutely, that is definitely, definitely important. And to have one person that has all those skill sets, it's pretty rare, right? You have the, you have the visionaries, you have the leaders, and, you know, and then they need support in, you know, messaging, like if you think about politics, dare I bring it up, but, you know, you have your campaign managers and you have the people that help get the message out and and position it. Um, But back to the visuals, you know, why they resonate or why they they are so powerful. Something I wanted to to share with your listeners around this um, who might be thinking, okay, well, maybe that works for for you and your team at ImageSync that that are trained in this is, we're hardwired. If you think back to the cave paintings, not only was that a technology we were using before we had written language, um, but we're also neurologically hardwired to make meaning out of simple visuals. And there's a term that anthropologists use, and I hope I'm not mispronouncing it, called pareidolia, or pareidolia, which is, uh, means the proclivity to see 
pictures and things. So uh, specifically, it means, you know, have you ever seen like that Instagram thread that's like, I see faces everywhere. You know, mm-hmm. like you're walking, you're, you're walking by a tree. In the cloud. And you're like, oh, in the cloud. Yeah, yeah. Like, exactly. And we often see, um, we often see faces or human expression in things that are not human, right? Whether that's anthropomorphication of an animal or literally like something abstract that looks like a face or looks like a picture. And that's probably because we needed that uh, when we were, you know, earlier animals to be able to spot danger, right, or recognize emotion. But we carry that with us so that even, you know, if you think of a simple emoji, uh, we'll have all kinds of connotation and inference for us when we receive it. So your audience, it doesn't have to be our completely beautiful illustrations or very elaborate at all for people to be able to understand the meaning and the inferences because we're really, we're wired that way already. And leaders uh, can use that, you know, to their advantage because it's very, very innate Um, and it's very old uh, neurological behavior that we have as humans. Well, Nora, don't people think in images? I do. I, I mean, I think many people do. Um, you know, many people learn visually. Anytime, though, you also combine uh, different modalities of learning, you're strengthening the neural networks and the mm-hmm. ability for people to remember it. So, um it's a great way to start or it's a great way to get people to shift, especially if you're in a a culture or workplace where that's not the norm um, because it will strengthen the way people remember it. Also, it might get them to process information slightly different than they were doing it before. I know when I'm thinking forward, not well, even in the past when I'm saying, okay, I've got my vision. Now I need to piece it together. It's all images Images are flashing into my head. I'm scribbling them down like a crazy person. It's every bit of it images. I thought that was normal. Maybe, maybe it's not. But anyway, I'll have to go. Do, I have to go research. Uh, well, I, I, you know, I don't want to speak above my pay grade and say whether that's necessarily <laughs> normal or not normal. I will tell you that my sister is a is a PhD in neuroscience. So I have had, her and I have had conversations about this before um, and research out there and what, you know, what you, what we can't say and what we, you know, what is maybe more anecdotal, um, you know. So uh, it is, one thing that is true is there's not this right brain, left brain hemisphere kind of thing that you think, oh, if you're left-handed, you're the creative person. And if you're right-handed, you, you know, you're kind of stuck being the analytical person. But when you're processing or your brain is processing a visual, and they've even put people in MRIs and had people just think about drawing without actually drawing, it's exactly the same. So your, your brain is working the same way, whether you're doing the drawing or you're watching someone doing the drawing. You're using multiple uh, you're using multiple regions of the brain from the occipital lobe where you process it through um, areas of, of identification and, and language up to the prefrontal cortex, right? Which is our higher level of thinking. So if you want to engage differently and you want to, on a neurological level, use more of your brain, then tr- 
try drawing out what you want to explain or a problem that you have with pictures because you're going to be, just by, by doing that, you're going to be engaging multiple areas of your brain in a way that's different than if you're just speaking it. That I can't. I, I'm ambidextrous, so I never know what I'm going to come up with. But I, for the longest kind of time, didn't consider myself a creative. I didn't even know that I was because if I try to draw a picture, and you're going to think I'm nuts, but if I try to draw a stick, you know, the hangman stick figure, he looks like he has scoliosis. I cannot draw. But you ask me anything creative or color technology, I'm in. So who knows? <laughs> it's just our brains. Right. We can but I'm, I'm telling a lot you, of you, you might think your sick man has scoliosis, but he probably is doing the trick to these. Uh, if you're trying to just, <laughs> If you're trying to just get those ideas out about that website to other people, right, um, it doesn't have to be beautiful because we understand, we're able, very sophisticated when it comes to visual processing. And people will understand what you're trying to communicate, even if, you know, um, you're not going to frame it and, uh, you know, hang it above the mantle later. That's true. One of my my very favorite people on Facebook has a cartoon called Derwin uh, and it's all stick figures and I get the whole thing I'm watching going okay that's pretty cool I didn't even think of it I don't play hangman though it's embarrassing okay so we well if you and I are ever I will be on you can be on my Pictionary team next time if you'd like I think we probably make a pretty good team. Yeah. That would be fun. Okay, so where can people find more about you? Because, And the last thing I wanted to kind of mention, you don't have to be an artist to, to use a picture tool. I mean, we, we just discussed that and that the audience is hardwired to make meaning from images. We can make meaning from anything. And, you know, as humans, we know this very, very well. So is before I let you go, we've got about, a minute and a half. Is there anything else you wanted to share with the audience? Oh, uh, I, maybe this is a good time to let them know where they can find more information about ImageSync. Yes. What do you think? Please. Okay, great. So ImageSync.net, uh, you can find us there. We have a lot of resources, videos. We talk about these different stages of the, of the method that we discussed. There's definitely examples of our work. Um, I'd love to connect with you if you'd like to follow me on LinkedIn. Um, we're always sharing stories, uh, case stories, and different resources about visual thinking there. I'm Nora Hurting. I think I'm still the only one, so not hard to find. And then if you want to put some of this into practice but need a guide, my book, Draw Your Big Idea, has 108 visual templates and exercises to bring you through the brainstorming process, through kind of the engagement and leadership parts that Denise and I spoke about, all the way down to that visualizing your sort of strategic plan or roadmap. And you can find that at booksellers or on Amazon as well. You have a free chapter, don't you? Oh, yeah, I do. We do have a free chapter. So if you you can visit us on our website and download uh, one free chapter there. Um, and get all the visual templates to to start you off with. That's right, Denise. Perfect. Nora, thank you. It has been fascinating speaking with you. I've just, I actually confused myself because I was scribbling so hard, going, oh, don't lose that thought, don't lose that thought, and I lost the thought, but it'll all come back. 
But thank you so much for being with me here today, and I thank you for all of the terrific tips and advice that I've shared with our audience. And before we say goodbye, I would like to remind our audience to be sure to look for us on iTunes, Amazon Prime, iHeart, we're everywhere. Just go anywhere you can you can send your your favorite podcast. Just look for your partner in Success Radio and take us along on your success journey. Nora, thank you so much. Thank you, Get your voice heard. If you would like to launch your own far-reaching podcast, contact Denise Griffiths at yourofficeontheweb.com and go to the podcast tab. 